you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. We'll be closing out the book of John this week. Looking at verses 20 through 25. And if you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, be with us now. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to respond as you would have us to. Glorify yourself in our remaining time together. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. This may sound a bit counterintuitive and even strange, but sometimes the hardest time to worship God is at a worship service. Have you ever experienced that in terms of our focus and the distractions that are there? Oftentimes it's hard to focus on the Lord, even when this is the time to do so. By the way, the problem's not with the service or with the public gathering, it's with us. That's our problem. And often it's the distraction of other people. That's probably a big one. Focusing so much on others for whatever reason that it distracts us from worshiping and hearing from God. Now why is that? Well, One reason is just, I call it the curse of critical comparison. Whether you're comparing yourself to somebody else uh, who maybe you see, seems to have it better or even worse than you. Or being critical of another person um, for, for many different reasons. And it may cause you to be critical of yourself. But all this psychological noise distracts us from what we're here to do. Calvin also suggests that it may be an idle excuse for not examining our own selves in our own way. In our passage this morning, we see this issue of distraction come up with Peter 
in his interaction with Jesus. And Jesus gives him a very direct and clear answer to this situation, which is very instructive for us even this morning to attend to. Now let's, let's get ourselves back in the scene here, okay? Uh, in verses 20 through 23, we kind of have the scene set for us. And this passage is really closely related to the previous week's message. It's probably the same conversation uh, that Jesus had with Peter, part two. And whether they've been walking as they talked or now begin to take a walk, Peter takes notice that the disciple John is following them, as it's described, the one whom Jesus loved, who had said this particular thing at the supper in the upper room. Now remember in the previous passage last week, Jesus had restored Peter after his denials and recommissioned him. And then he also, in verse 19, told him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now Peter sees John and says, what about this guy? What about this man? Though we're not given great detail here about Peter's motivation in asking this question, the question seems to reveal that something, something is amiss, judging by Jesus' response. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In the original language, the, that last statement, you follow me, the you is emphasized. It's emphatic. What's going on with this other person? Don't worry about that. You follow me. And Jesus is probably making, when he, with the words, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? He's probably making sort of a hypothetical statement here, not a definite one, concerning John's future. It's, it's as if he's saying, it's my business whether I will, John, to remain until I come or not. But the bottom line is, he's basically telling Peter, it's none of your business. You see, there was something in Peter's concern about John's life and his destiny, which was or could have been a distraction to his own following after Christ. Now let's step back a moment by way of application and consider a few things here. First of all, this passage, this is an indirect application, but this passage reminds us what is clearly taught elsewhere in Scripture, that our futures and even our deaths are known by Christ. Now that can be either one of the most encouraging things or one of the most terrifying things, depending on who you believe the Son of God to be and how you stand in relation to Him. For those who are trusting in Christ alone for forgiveness of sin, J.C. Ryle gives us this encouragement. 
Everything from beginning to end is foreseen and arranged by the one who is too wise to err and too loving to do us harm. We should be encouraged by this fact. He's too wise to err and too loving to do us harm. Now, rather than being consumed by the how and when of our death, which that's a very real felt need, isn't it? Very real concern that some of us have, maybe some more so than others, depending on your situation. But rather being consumed by those matters, instead we should pray. We should pray that God would enable us to glorify him, not only in our life, but even in our death. And whatever process that involves. Think about it. In the way that we show hope. In the way that we are comforted. Even our witness in our death can be a powerful thing. It may be that in your death, you have a greater witness that your hope shines brighter in the midst of dismal, dark circumstances. Pray for that. Don't rather be than being consumed by all those other matters. And I recognize that's not easy. We are dependent upon the Lord through it all. Now let's go back for a moment to the distraction of comparison issue that I mentioned earlier. You see, there's, there's an unhealthy other-centeredness. One which takes our focus away from what God is calling us to do. For example, have you ever sat in a sermon like this and thought to yourself, you know, I hope so-and-so is here to hear this. You know, they really need to hear what's being said. That's a common one. Hopefully you're not saying that right now. But see, in a subtle way, that's a, it's a deflection. It's a distraction. Lord, you need to deal with so-and-so in here. All the while, not even listening to what the Lord is saying to you this very moment. You see, the difference between what I would call a counterfeit other-centeredness, and the real thing is that one is with reference to self primarily and the other is with reference to Christ. For example, our verse of the year, Philippians 2.3, is out of reference for Christ. It's following his example when Paul urges us to do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the right other-centeredness that we're called to. But here in our passage, it seems like Peter's concern about John, his concern about John seems to be a distraction from what Christ had just called him to do in the previous passage. You follow me. I think we need to be reminded that God can handle 
the lives of others without our help. And that we need to focus on what he's saying to us and how we need to follow after him. This also brings up the issue of contentment, which scripture speaks much about. Contentment with one's calling in life, one's lot in life, so to speak. Which we recognize to be under the wisdom and power of God. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs defines contentment this way. He calls it a frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I'll read that again. Contentment being a frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Does that describe your frame of spirit today? One thing you'll notice about Burroughs' definition, it's very much centered on a particular view of God. And maybe that's our problem. We're discontented, we're distracted, because we don't have a right view of God and who He's revealed Himself to be. We don't see Him as a loving Heavenly Father, handling our lives with great care and love. Now, another thing to consider by way of application in our passage, it's as if in this instance, Peter wants to know what we might call the hidden will of God concerning another person, rather than focusing on his own calling. Something that God does not will to reveal. Focusing on that instead of other things. By the way, this is a common tactic of our enemy. As Thomas Brooks observes, Satan often tempts us by getting us to mind more the secret decrees and counsels of God than our own duty. Be worried about all these other things, all the mysteries and the unknowns, and all the while getting us to ignore what he has clearly revealed for us to do and to believe. The servant of Christ must never forget his own soul in all of this. To be so taken up with others and other distractions that we neglect our own soul. It happens a lot. How is the Lord saying to you this morning, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that for you? Well, next in verses 24, 25, John closes out his gospel by pointing us back to the one whom we are to follow. That's, that's the basic main idea for Peter and for us. Don't be distracted. You follow me. Who is it that we're following? John interjects again himself as the author 
into his gospel in verse 24. He says, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And the things he's referring to here at this state, at this juncture in the gospel, is the whole thing. All that he has written are the things. And this is nothing new. He's interjected like this before. But he also reaffirms the testimony to the truth of what he has written. Do you know his testimony is true? Think about all the ground we've covered. Do you really believe this is true? You know, this gets us back to the very purpose of the gospel itself. John's gospel, back in chapter 20, verse 31, when he said, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And we might add in light of our passage, not only to believe, but to follow after him. The testimony is true. Believe it. You know, whether you're a new visitor to St. Andrews, or maybe a, a long-time visitor, or even a long-time member. If you listen week in and week out to the Word of God, but don't really believe it or obey it, you're missing the whole point of why God said it in the first place. And we dishonor Him if we respond that way. Kind of like a child dishonoring a parent who tells them over and over again to do something. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. They never do. They ignore it. Is that what you're doing with God? We need to examine ourselves. And as Jesus warned, we need to pay attention to what we hear. Lastly, In verse 25, John tells us that much more could have been written than what he wrote in terms of what Jesus had done. So much that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Now on the surface, that kind of seems like an exaggeration, doesn't it? Maybe he's overdoing it a bit here. However, on second thought, who is he talking about? Who is this Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's God, greater than creation. He was involved in creation. Other passages tell us that In Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. He's greater than the world, greater than creation. In that sense, surely nothing in creation, nor the books piled up to the heavens, could contain this Jesus and all that who he is. 
He's the infinite one, the Son of God. Have you dismissed him as not being able to help you in a particular situation in your life? Or is not able to save you from your sins? Or to forgive you for particular sins? Have you thought those things? If so, you do not understand who you're talking about. We need to say with the prophet Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and by by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. This is the Jesus we follow. Be encouraged by that. So in short, the book of John ends with a plea for us to not only believe, but to follow Christ, the Son of God. As we close out our study on John, it's fitting that we approach the table, being reminded of those very things, to believe and to follow. Not just give lip service to these things, or just hear many, many sermons, but to believe and to follow. What is belief or faith professed if one does not actually follow? James tells us that's a dead faith. It's actually unbelief masquerading as faith. Where is your heart this morning? Are you making excuses for not examining your own heart because you're too busy examining the heart of someone else? Do you believe and will you follow? Now is the time to deal with these things as we approach the table. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, there's much that's convicting in this passage. But there are also many encouraging things. Lord, would you help us to do business with you in our hearts and to respond appropriately, examining ourselves, asking for forgiveness where we need to, asking for your strength to empower us to follow after Christ, just as you called Peter to do. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.